We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Good morning, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number you want to call in, be a part of the program, it is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. I am very glad to have you with me this morning. I need to begin. Uh, well, I, I, I we need to reset. Before we get into the convention, I need to reset. Um, I, and I, I need to I need to lay some things out for you because I, I have gotten just some bizarre emails uh, in, in the last week. Um, let, let me explain to you the bizarreness of some of the emails I've gotten. Last week, I, I dared, dared to suggest that it probably, uh, the Democrats actually did some things right. Their roll call of the states was right. Uh, and on and on and on it went. And I, I, I have done my best to try to play it straight. I give you my opinion on things, but I, here's my thinking and, and, and I, I'll get to, I'll get to where I'm, I'm going. Just, just bear with me here. You need to hear this. There are a lot of conservative talk radio shows out there. And one of my concerns with a lot of conservative talk radio these days is a lot of people don't want to be themselves. They want to do a bad impression of Rush Limbaugh. I filled in for Rush Limbaugh, and I can tell you, you can't be Rush Limbaugh. Rush is just the master. But there are a lot of people who want to do very bad impressions of Rush. And, and when I say bad impressions of Rush, it's not that they want to do their his affectations. There, there are things Rush does that, that I do that I, I just I dearly love. Um, his references to Rio Linda, you can do it about him. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. Uh, often in my evening show, things like that. But just the, the, the trying to duplicate Russia's personality on radio, be your own person. One of the problems in talk radio now with some up and comers to get attention and segment themselves from the market is they want to be outrageous for the sake of outrage. They want to say outlandish things and blow themselves up. And part of the problem with that is radio is an advertising model, and you don't want to put your advertisers in a position where it becomes very easy for them to say, I want nothing to do with this guy. Now, the left is going to come anyway, but you don't want to make the, the, you don't want to make the advertisers have qualms to begin with. But more importantly, you don't want to be an outrage whore for the sake of whoring outrage when that's not your personality. You're, you're playing at something on radio. 
And oftentimes, the way people play at things on radio these days and the way they want to they want to peddle outrage is they want to tell you not what they themselves believe, but what they think you believe. They want you to hear the stuff they think you want to hear, not tell you the things they want to say. And essentially, they become hostage to the audience. And occasionally what happens is, is they can't do it anymore. And then they have this break and they blame you guys, not themselves, because they were never their own person. Or the, their career goes out in flames because they everyone uh, pats them on the back for, for causing outrage and they amp it and amp it and amp it and amp it until they go too far. Reminds me of the old Louis Grizzard joke. Do, do, have, have you ever heard the old Louis Grizzard joke about the, 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 um, the what was it? it? It was the Primitive Baptist Church. They were having the funeral. And the pastor comes up and he says, tell it all, brother, tell it all. Man in the back raises his hand. He's your typical now up-and-coming conservative talk radio show guy. And the pastor is the audience. He says, tell it all, brother, tell it all. And the man in the back says, last Thursday night, I went out with my friends gambling and and smoking. And, And the pastor says, tell it all, brother, God will forgive you. He says, last Wednesday night, I laid with the woman of the night. And the pastor says, tell it all, brother. Just tell it all. God will forgive you. He says, last Tuesday night, I drank alcohol and got drunk. Pastor says, tell it all, brother. Tell it all. He says, last Monday night, I laid with a goat. And the pastor says, brother, I don't think I'd have told that one. <laughs> now, I, I toned the joke down a little bit. This is an audience. The point there is that you get encouraged so much so often to go further and further and further to the extreme. And then you go to the extreme and everyone's like, man, why, why'd you do that? And, and, and you see this trend shaping up as people try to distinguish themselves. Now, I will be very honest with you. In my pushback against that, the reason I do what I do is because I just kind of abhor the idea that I've got to tell you what I think you want to hear. And I've got to stay in tune with what where I think you want to go. And I want to tell you what, what I want to tell you. And if you don't want to listen, you don't have to listen. And what I think I should be doing is not just showing up and doing what every other conservative radio show host in America does, which is a bad Rush Limbaugh impression, and, and giving you my opinion. I should tell you what the news is, provide you analysis of that news, and then give you my opinion on the news. So establish the ground of where reality is, analyze it so that you have a fact-based view of what's happening, where the truth, the whole truth actually matters, even those things that don't work to your side, and then give you my opinion and and, and do what I can do to explain that despite some inconvenient facts, here's how I see the world. Now, I'm starting the show this way uh, for this reason. Last week, I got angry emails from Republicans who were upset that I would dare say anything nice about the Democratic convention, and, and, I, and I thought you were voting for Trump, and you're actually really never Trump. And, and this week, two days in a row now, Monday and Tuesday, and actually now this morning, so we're on the third day, I'm getting angry emails from people who read what I write and listen to this program who are not Republicans, who consider me the a reasonable conservative to listen to, and all of the emails are of the same. You're a collaborator with Trump. 
history is going to judge you. Shame on you for selling out your values. You're just trying to keep your ratings up on radio. How dare you say anything nice about the Republicans? Traitor! It is unhinged. I actually got, I had to stop reading. I literally got about 500 words into an email that went on for more than 2,000 with references and block quotes to different articles on how I'm somehow a collaborator because I thought the Republicans, oh my gosh, they had a good day on the first day of their convention and the guy lost it. How dare you? I saw that. That was white supremacy on parade and you're a collaborator. Listen, If you hate Donald Trump, you're not going to like the Republican convention. I'm sorry. If you despise the man, you're not going to like what you see. My job is to watch this stuff so you don't have to, drinking to get through it all, and then try to explain to you what they're doing, why they did it, and what I think of it. And Democrats, you people have a problem, and your meltdown means you know you have a problem. The president got a five-point bounce out of the Democratic convention, according to CBS News. With independent voters, the president got a five-point bounce. Well, we now have swing state polling following, following the Democratic convention. And the swing state polling following the Democratic convention shows the Democrats did not have the convention that the media told you they had. On August 25th, Hillary Clinton was 9.2 percentage points ahead of Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is now only 5.7 points ahead of Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. In Michigan, Hillary Clinton was nine points ahead of Donald Trump in 2016. Joe Biden is only 6.7 points ahead. In Wisconsin, Hillary Clinton was 11.5 percentage points ahead. Joe Biden, he's only ahead by 6.5 points. Now, in Florida, Hillary was ahead 2.9 points and Joe Biden's ahead 4.8 points. Joe Biden also has slim leads in Arizona and a few other key states. But when you're within the margin of error, you've got to give some level of advantage to incumbency and the Democrats know it. And that is why the coverage of the Republican convention is melting down on the left. More importantly, that is why you are seeing the Republicans program their convention this week the way they're the way they're programming it. If you are a partisan who hates the president, you can be outraged by what you're seeing, but make no mistake about it. What is happening on stage at the Republican convention is actually working to the president's advantage. The Republicans are pulling off a good convention and they have figured out the Democrats Achilles heel to understand the Democrats Achilles heel. You have to understand that many of the prominent voices in the Democratic Party right now who are minority voices see the world through the same lens as the rich, secular, woke, white atheists who control the Democratic Party. So it doesn't matter whether the person is Hispanic they're, or they're going to call themselves Latinx, and no one in America calls themselves that except these people. They're going to call themselves people of color. They're going to to be a a variety of, of, of dispositions, but all solidly of the left. And they're going to hate everything they see this week. And they're going to believe America's racist. And they're going to be in, uh, in uh, just furious with Nikki Haley's speech. 
They're going to believe that there's systemic racism everywhere and you can't get ahead and they're all victims. And that is the Democrats Achilles heel. Because the, the woke black activists who lives in New York City and believes the 1619 Project and identifies with these rich white liberals who subsidize their hatred of the country has really nothing in common with the black family in Middle Tennessee or Bibb County, Georgia or El Paso, Texas or you pick the place. And the president and the Republicans have figured that out. The Democrats last week had ample opportunity to get on stage and denounce defunding the police and denounce the riots and denounce the increase in crime in urban cities. And instead what they did is they lied about it and said it wasn't true and it didn't happen. And they had their media fact checkers of the left agree with them. They never did what they needed to do. And now guess what? Most Americans believe Joe Biden supports defunding the police, even though he actually objectively does not. Most Americans believe it. And that is a self-owned by the Democrats. Black families in this country are vehemently opposed to defunding the police, according to Gallup. And black men in this country not only appreciate the president's criminal justice reform package that got a lot of young black men out of jail, but they're deeply disturbed by what they're seeing on the streets of the urban corridors of America, where the businesses they work at are being burned to the ground by young, woke, white activists. The Democrats have a problem. The Republicans have found their Achilles heel. The Democrats are so far into a bubble now that they do not understand the way the rest of America works. And they're giving prominent voice to those who want to fundamentally upend America and undermine our criminal justice system, our law and order, and the integrity of our cities. And it's starting to reap rewards for the Republicans. Don't believe me on this. Believe Joe Biden. Here's Chuck Todd. Less red meat so far, at least not as much as last night. Last night, I think, was a lot more of that. But tonight, you're seeing another similar theme. There's a, uh, another focus, particularly showcasing um, what President Trump's done on criminal justice reform. You know, both campaigns, guys, tell me that there is a chance that uh, Donald Trump could overperform with African-American men. It's a concern of the Biden campaign, and it's a focus of the Trump campaign. But a lot of this targeting here is something we talked about last night, um, trying to cut against this narrative that the president uh, has been stoking racial tensions. They've been trying to heal this because they see this as a way back in with suburban voters. But I will say this. I do think, just like they've had these problems when he appoints people to office, they've had a vetting issue. They've had quite a few what I would call, they're small distractions with speakers of sort of controversial things they've tweeted or said, but it does seem as if this is becoming a distraction and it may, there's enough of these distractions that it may break through and step on whatever messages they're hoping to get out. Now, what he was talking to at the end is there were a couple of people who were going to be on stage who had tweeted QAnon stuff and they had to be uninvited one at the last minute. But pay attention to that first part there. The Biden campaign is beginning to be worried based on their polling that the president is making inroads with black male voters. We've seen this before. In 2018, Rick Scott went to the Senate and Ron DeSantis went to the governor's mansion in Florida because black men in Florida favored them over the black Democrat man running for governor in Florida. 
black male voters are the key beneficiaries of the president's criminal justice reform. And he spent two nights in a row now highlighting that going so far last night as to pardon a black man uh, during the programming. They should have put it in at the 10 o'clock so everybody saw it, but they did it and it made news. The fact that the Democrats and, and, and woke Twitter with blue check mark is in a complete meltdown this morning screaming about the Hatch Act tells you everything you need to know. The Republicans, without access to the Hollywood elite and directors and all that, are putting on a really good convention. Not only that, the president got a bounce out of the Democrats convention because the Democrats refused to engage on law and order. This, my friends, is a problem for the Democrats. That's the reality here. You don't need to send me angry emails that I've been captured by the Trump campaign and a collaborator with white nationalists. You need to realize what reality is. And reality is Democrats are getting their butt kicked across America this week on national television, and they hate it. The Republicans are actually doing a really good job this week, and we'll get into the details when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I man, I'm, I'm, I may be leaving you all now. I just, I, I got this on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, apologies to my wife now. I may have up in, to, up in my life. Stenity Brigati. Yeah, S-D-N-E-Y. S-D-N-E-Y. Brigate. She, she writes, whoa. You spark up my entire thinking faculty. I am ready to stop searching, and who knows the rose in my heart, too, could be yours. I'm thinking this this may be legit now. She <laughs> For me, I'm cool and lonely, and you sound nice. More about me. I am a citizen of USA. It's USA, but it's capital U and then lowercase S-A. <laughs> wow. Do better, Nigeria. Do better. <laughs> wow. Man. All right. All right. Listen, I want to take your calls. I guess I should open the call screen program. We actually got calls yesterday. You people are watching the convention as well. I'm happy to take your calls on the convention. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, and I, I'm, I'm very curious what you guys think. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Republican and you watch the convention, I, I, I want to challenge all of you, what could they have done better? There are things I think the Republicans could do better in their convention. That's not to say it's a bad convention. It actually is a good convention. It's working. You know, so Matt Lewis, who has a column at the Daily Beast, he's a CNN uh, contributor. Uh, Matt Lewis, interestingly enough, is he's been deeply critical of the president. He's been disappointed in me for saying I'd vote for the guy in 2020. But Matt Lewis recognizes that the president is pulling off a good convention. And the media is in meltdown over it. And a lot of Democrats who follow Matt Lewis because he tells them what they want to hear are attacking him for daring to say it. It's like, I, I really, I need to find that email and, and read it to you from, from the guy who, who history is going to judge you as a collaborator again for the president. Good gracious. Um, the, the, the total meltdown 
from some of the Democrats. Listen, y'all, the reality is the president of the United States is putting on a good convention and the Democrats are putting on a bad convention. I cannot remember the last time the challenger got a bump from the convention of his opponent. I do not remember the last time that happened and it's happening now. And, and, and here's the thing, all of the people in the media, not just the Democratic talking heads, but the supposedly objective political analysts and the anchors were bragging about what the Democrats pulled off last week. And there were parts of it that were good. Their roll call of the states was way better than what the Republicans put together. But we're now a week removed and the president got a polling bounce. Not only did the president get a polling bounce from it, the polling came out the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday after the convention and weekend polling is always bad for Republicans and yet the president still got a bump out of it. I cannot remember historically the last time someone got a bump out of their opponent's convention and yet Donald Trump has managed to pull that off. That's remarkable. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to call into the program and I will gladly take your reaction to what we're seeing, it is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Okay, okay. I have found the email. Hi, Eric. I still often listen to and enjoy your radio program, but I miss the pre-Trumpified Eric. It is painful to hear you twist yourself into awkward positions to defend Trump's horrendous behavior and chaotic leadership. Even more so when I remember your previous principled stances. Unlike most Republicans, former chairman of the RNC Michael Steele has not drunk the Kool-Aid. In a recent interview, he he criticized Trump but refused to quit the Republican Party or conservatism. He went on to reference an essay in The Atlantic by Ian Applebaum, History Will Judge the Complicit. Why have Republican leaders abandoned their principles in support of an immoral and dangerous president? The article is well written, and I encourage you to read it. Uh, and, and it goes on, and, and this is this is the shorter of them. Somebody sent me one that was about 2,000 words long. Uh, it, you know, just because I tell you something you don't want to hear doesn't mean I have become Trumpified. Uh, You would be amazed at the number of times a day I get angry emails from Trump supporters thinking I'm still never Trump. You just can't win with any of these people. And and if anything, I'm, I'm, you know, being fat has helped because I got thick skin. (laughs) I just what what, what we're we're at the point of silly season, though, in campaigns where anyone on the left, you you hear anything that sounds pro-Trump. Suddenly you've been Trumpified. If you hear anything from the right that is critical of Trump, and you're going to hear a lot of criticism of Donald Trump from me, and and I'm very honest with the man. I mean, it's not like I'm talking behind the man's back. We've talked on the phone. He knows how I feel. I I guarantee you that people send him what I write, uh, and I know because I can track the White House IP addresses coming into what I'm reading. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to be mendacious here, but good gracious. Uh, and if you're a Democrat, you're not going to like listening to me this week because the Republicans put on a very good convention and the Democrats are concerned about it. I want to begin with something I find wholly predictable and I knew was going to happen. And I genuinely believe it was meant to happen. I think this part of the Republican convention last night was programmed 
to get a particular effect and the effect was rendered. I'm talking about Nick Sandman. And I want to play for you. Charlie actually sent me a note this morning and, and said, um, are, are you sure you want the whole thing? I want the whole thing. I want every one of you to listen to this young man. In particular, if you're a Democrat, I want you to listen to this. And I really genuinely do want to play his speech. This is Nick Sandman, who stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, where he was tarred and feathered by the media for something he did not do. Listen to this kid. My classmates and I visited the Lincoln Memorial. I found myself face to face with Nathan Phillips and other professional protesters looking to turn me into the latest poster child showing why Trump is bad. While the media portrayed me as an aggressor with a relentless smirk on my face, in reality, the video confirms I was standing with my hands behind my back and an awkward smile on my face that hid two thoughts. One, don't do anything that might further agitate the man banging a drum in my face. And two, I was trying to follow a family friend's advice never to do anything to embarrass your family, your school, or your community. Before I knew what was happening, it was over. One of Mr. Phillips' fellow agitators yelled out, we got him. It's all right here on video, and we won, Grandpa. What I thought was a strange encounter quickly developed into a major news story complete with video footage. My life changed forever in that one moment. The full war machine of the mainstream media revved up into attack mode. They did so without researching the full video of the incident, without ever investigating Mr. Phillips' motives, or without ever asking me for my side of the story. And do you know why? Because the truth was not important. Advancing their anti-Christian, anti-conservative, anti-Donald Trump narrative was all that mattered. And if advancing their narrative ruined the reputation and future of a teenager from Covington, Kentucky, well, so be it. That would teach him not to wear a mega hat. I learned what was happening to me had a name. It was called being canceled, as in annulled, as in revoked, as in made void. Canceled is what's happening to people around this country who refuse to be silenced by the far left. Many are being fired, humiliated, or even threatened. And often, the media is a willing participant. But I would not be canceled. I fought back hard to expose the media for what they did to me, and I won a personal victory. While much more must be done, I look forward to the day that the media returns to providing balanced, responsible, and accountable news coverage. I know President Trump hopes for that too. And I know you'll agree with me when we say that no one in this country has been a victim of unfair media coverage more than President Donald Trump. In November, I believe this country must unite around a president who calls the media out and refuses to allow them to create a narrative instead of reporting the facts. I believe we must join a president who will challenge the media to return to objective journalism. The media hated that, as you can imagine. Joe Lockhart, CNN analyst, former White House press secretary, tweeted out, I'm watching tonight because it's important, but I don't have to watch this snot-nosed, entitled kid from Kentucky. 
The Huffington Post attacked him as well. Most major media outlets attacked Nick Sandman for being there. They, they haven't learned their lesson. Uh, Nick Sandman and his friends were at a March for Life rally in Washington, D.C., and a protester, a Native American activist beating a drum, saw them and came up to them, pounding his drum, trying to intimidate them. And Sandman stood there with a smile on his face. The media said it was a smirk. The Native American activist at first uh, claimed, I believe he claimed, the media certainly reported that Sandman was blocking his path, preventing him from moving forward, which wasn't actually true. Uh, Sandman, in this case, was the one being intimidated by the the anti-life uh, activists, and he just held his ground. And he was dragged by the media, by the Washington Post, by CNN, by others. He sued them, and he won a whole lot of money from them. This was yet another example of the media perpetuating a narrative that the media itself loves that uh, Trump has emboldened a, a some sort of uh, white nationalist movement in this country, which, by the way, I don't deny there is one, and I do think that it is somewhat emboldened of late, but they wanted to, to show that Sandman was, was part of it, and the pro-life movement, of course, is, is all white and racist. And they lied about it. They didn't wait to get his side of the story. They wanted to believe the worst first. And that's part of the problem we have right now with the media in this country, is they want to believe the worst first. They want to believe the bad things about the president, even if they're not true. I, I, I want you to go back to the beginning of the Trump administration with me for a moment, because there's a very telling story. A lot of the people who are reporting the news to you on a daily basis right now fell victim to a hoax on Twitter. A comedian reported out uh, that according to sources, you used a, a an account that made it look more legit than it was and reported out that the White House had set a special TV channel up for the president. Then it was just gorillas. And the president was watching the gorilla channel. And he was obsessed with the Gorilla Channel. Let, let me see if I can Trump Gorilla Channel. Um, it, let, let me see if I can find this. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this is an excerpt that was supposedly from Michael Wolf's book. Michael Wolf, you'll recall, wrote a tell-all book about the White House. Let, let me read you this. On his first night in the White House, President Trump complained that the TV in his bedroom was broken because it didn't have the Gorilla Channel. Trump seemed to be under the impression that a TV channel existed that screened nothing but gorilla-based content 24 hours a day. To appease Trump, White House staff compiled a number of gorilla documentaries into a makeshift gorilla channel, broadcast into Trump's bedroom from a hastily constructed transmission tower on the South Lawn. However, Trump was unhappy with the channel they had created, moaning that it was boring because the gorillas aren't fighting. Staff edited out all the parts of the documentaries where gorillas weren't hitting each other, and at last the president was satisfied. On some days, he'll watch the Gorilla Channel for 17 hours straight, an insider told me. He kneels in front of the TV with his face about four inches from the screen and says encouraging things to the gorillas like, the way you hit that other gorilla was good. I think he thinks the gorillas can hear him. Y'all... 
There were people on social media who believed this. And many of those people are reporters. And they believed it. Even USA Today wrote about this. If you tweet it, some will believe it. The parody account Pixelated Boat posted an image late Thursday from a fake excerpt from Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House claiming President Trump was a regular watcher of a fictional guerrilla channel. The fake tale depicted Trump in his first night at the White House angry because he can't find the channel which plays exclusively guerrilla content. The story is fake, but needless to say, Twitter erupted. Guerrilla Channel was trending Friday, and pundits, journalists, and everyday Twitter users fell for it. Notably, liberal author Eric Garland, who is often the butt of many Twitter jokes from journalists, found the Guerrilla ch- took the Guerrilla Channel hoax at face value. Garland and other verified users acknowledged their mistakes once they figured out it was fake. But the uproar continued. Some pointed out that people believing the clearly ridiculous excerpt as an example of liberal bias in the media. Others were critical, saying the joke did more to reinforce partisan divide. However, the joke helped show which journalists and political figures blindly tweet snap reactions without working to verify information, some argued. And even though it was a joke, others thought the Gorilla Channel wasn't the worst idea. It's really actually not a bad idea at all. Um, But nonetheless... People believed it. Blue check marks on social media believed it, and many of those people guide and shape the news. And they believed the attack on Nick Sandman. They 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 didn't care if it was true. First, not accurate. And the Sandman situation is indicative of a disease that rots the media. They're all complaining about Fox News, and they can't get their own house in order. You know, Fox News wouldn't be dominant. Fox News probably wouldn't even exist today if the other media outlets were willing to recognize their own biases. It's not to say there aren't problems at Fox. There are. Even people at Fox recognize there are problems at Fox. But Fox News exists because the other media went so far left and broke. Even CNN, which, I mean, the president, to his credit, is, is commending CNN for their coverage of the convention. And he's right. I've watched CNN two nights in a row. I think they are, they're handling it uh, well. I will say this. I, I do think that their panel last night uh, w- with Republican voices, it, it, it's, it's far less packed with Republicans than the Democratic Convention. The Democratic Convention was like four against one, Democrats to one Republican, and and last night was much more balanced and even. And 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 I actually think that that's a there's a problem there in that they were so pro Democrat last week. But CNN's coverage of the news has been good. But it's the Chris Cuomo's of the world and the Don Lemons of the world and the Bronze Stettler's of the world and, and the rest of them who cause the problems that break the news and undermine the credibility of the media. And it is those people who went after Nick Sandman. It is those people who have defended Antifa. It is those people in their bubble who have broken the press. Y'all, I just I, I, I continue to be flabbergasted by this single data point. 
for the last three to four years in a row, crime has not been a top 10 concern of the American voter, and it's now number five in concern. And the Democrats last week at their convention did nothing to talk about it. And as a result, you've seen a bump for the president from the Democrats convention. You've seen a majority of Americans believe Joe Biden really wants to defund the police, even though in fairness, he doesn't. And that's a self-owned by the Democrats. But the Democrats, and this is a key thing to understand, the Democrats would have never gotten there without a media machine telling them everything they thought about the world was true and fact-checking everything to the Democrats' advantage. You know, it's really remarkable. The Democrats last week had multiple times where they didn't say under God and the Pledge of Allegiance. But on two nights in primetime, they did. And so the media fact check was was that the Republicans were mostly lying about it. No, they were. I saw the I played the audio on this program three days in a row. The Democrats left out under God. But in primetime, they threw it in. So the media said, oh, it, it's 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 not true. They do this time and time again. When Donald Trump wins reelection, if he wins reelection and the odds, frankly, are still in Joe Biden's favor right now. If the president wins reelection, though. The media and the Democrats, they're not going to see it coming. The rest of us will. The Democrats won't. And they'll yet again fall back on mythology as to how he won, as opposed to recognizing that voters are really tired of white, woke, rich kids coming out of their parents' basement, burning down middle America in the name of just social justice. That the Democrats can't figure that out really is their Achilles heel, and it's something the Republicans are capitalizing on this week, and all it's doing is it's driving the Democrats insane. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you joining me this morning. I need to talk about, well, the Kentucky Attorney General. Uh, because my goodness, uh, Daniel Cameron, I remember when this guy ran for attorney general in Kentucky, I supported him and it was remarkable. Uh, the media wanted you to not know he existed. The reason the media wanted you to not know that the attorney general of Kentucky existed is because he's black and he's a Republican. And it disrupts the media narrative for you to recognize that there are actually black Republicans who get elected statewide in places like Kentucky. In the same way, it disrupts the media narrative that Tim Scott and Nikki Haley or Bobby Jindal or Susanna Martinez or Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or Alan West or Mia Love or or any other uh, minority non-white candidates can get elected to positions of power because the Republican Party is supposed to be the all-white party. And it increasingly is not. And I suspect you're going to see in the next 10 years a Republican nominee for president who is not white because I think Republican voters are headed in that direction. And I want to play for you this soundbite from Kentucky's attorney general. So the question is, will we choose the path that gives us the best chance to meet those universal desires? Or will we go backward uh, to a time when people were treated like political commodities who can't be trusted to think for themselves? 
I think often about my ancestors who struggled for freedom. And as I think of those giants and their broad shoulders, I also think about Joe Biden who says, if you aren't voting for me, you ain't black. Who argued that Republicans would put us back in chains. Who says there is no diversity of thought in the black community. Mr. Vice President, look at me. I am black. We are not all the same, sir. I am not in chains. My mind is my own. And you can't tell me how to vote because of the color of my skin. Joe Biden is a backwards thinker in a world that is craving forward-looking leadership. There's no wisdom in his record or plan, just a trail of discredited ideas and offensive statements. Joe Biden would destroy jobs, raise our taxes, and throw away the lives of countless unborn children. And he is captive to the radical left, a movement committed to cancel culture and the destruction of public discourse. They believe your skin color must dictate your politics. And if you fail to conform while exercising your God-given right to speak and think freely, they will cut you down. The politics of identity, cancellation, and mob rule are not acceptable to me. Republicans trust you to think for yourself and to pursue your American dream however you see fit. Good for him. Great speech. Powerful moment. Uh, resonated well with a lot of people. Uh, more on that when we come back right now this hour. It's sponsored by First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Uh, if you, they, they, they're not going to help you if you're an individual, but if you're a business and you want to become a big business, you need to go to First Liberty Building and Loan. They want to help you grow your business. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. They can help you navigate access to capital and credit and, and loans. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Good morning and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here all over the place these days. The fold number is 877 877- Nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I want to reset just a little bit for everybody. Uh, there's a lot of focus this week, and and I'm happy to take your phone calls on your reaction to the uh, Republican National Convention night two. And I am getting all sorts of hate mail from people who uh, from the left. Last week, I got a lot of hate mail from people from the right for for trying to be as fair as possible to the Democrats and now trying to be as fair as possible to the Republicans getting hate mail from the left. This is is indicative of where we are in the country, that if you say something nice about the president, uh, you're somehow an apologist for the president. If you say something uh, bad about the president, somehow you're never Trumper. And if you say anything uh, kind about what the president is doing or, or you're, you're participating, collaborating in, in white nationalism or some such, People have lost their minds, and and you really got to chart through this. But but I, I reset in that way because I got to tell you, I was skeptical of what the Republicans were going to be able to pull off for their convention. I was skeptical in part because there were reports in the press from good sources, and also I heard the same that from people within the White House, that there were still a lot of last minute tweaks to the schedule. But you know what? They've pulled it off. And I want to tell you what I think 
sets this Republican convention apart from the Democrats. One, uh, they're they're less worried about uh, the, the, the whole Zoom call stuff from the Democratic Party. I don't think it worked. Having Joe Biden Zoom calling a bunch of Democratic activists is way less meaningful than having the president of the United States uh, oversee the administration of the citizenship oath to new citizens. I, I think I think there's a big issue. Uh, I think that there is a uh, a real problem with the Democrats complaining so much about the Hatch Act today that they can't recognize that things actually um, most people don't care about it. So I need to explain this Hatch Act stuff to you. The Hatch Act is a federal law that prohibits political appointees from engaging in partisan politics. Now, here's the problem. When Barack Obama was president, they did not, the the left did not mind cabinet officials engaging in partisan politics, whether it was an address to Planned Parenthood or like Eric Holder's statement that he was Obama's wingman or Loretta Lynch meeting with Bill Clinton, things like that. They, they never, they never minded. And they were very dismissive of Republicans. They were dismissive of Republicans when it became obvious that the Internal Revenue Service was auditing and blocking the nonprofit status of Tea Party groups. Never mind what the Inspector General found. And now suddenly you've got Mike Pompeo addressing the Republicans from Israel. You've got Chad Wolf, the acting secretary for Homeland Security, administering the oath of office uh, or administering the, the oath of citizenship from the White House. And they're screaming about the Hatch Act. It doesn't matter. One of the issues here is that we are in a global pandemic. And what they're doing with the Hatch Act is they're actually trying to box in the president, in part because they realize the president actually is having a good convention. And the fact that they spent the entire morning screaming about the Hatch Act and not paying attention to the substance of the convention tells you everything you need to know about how good the convention is going. You may hate Donald Trump. You may despise him. But it is inarguable that they're doing a good job with the convention. It is inarguable that they're actually pulling off a better convention than the Democrats. The Democrats have two bits of arrogance about themselves uh, that the Republicans are, have been able to work around. One of the parts of arrogance from the Democratic Party is that uh, black voters are Democratic voters. And now suddenly, as I mentioned in the first hour, there is a real concern that the president may be making inroads with black men, and he is, and the polling shows he is. Because the Democrats have taken those voters for granted for so long, and the president has a way to make inroads with them, and he's going to do it. The other area of arrogance for the Democratic Party is that they are the party of Hollywood. And because they are the party of Hollywood, they can have Hollywood actors and actresses participate in their convention. They can have Hollywood directors and and, um, lighting experts light their convention and light their candidates and design things for them and make things look uh, with all the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. And the Republicans don't have that. And so the Republicans have to put in more sweat equity to make things work well. And they have. This is the most notable point of this. The Democrats filled their stage with Hollywood celebrities. The Republicans have filled their stage with real people.
We had a, a lobster fisherman from Maine last night. We had the, the head of a machinist um, company in Wisconsin. We had a uh, woman who is a farmer with her husband. They have 10,000 cows that they milk multiple times a day in Wisconsin. And she herself is from Minnesota. And they told the real world stories of how the president has helped them. And this is a distinguishing factor from the Democratic Party. The Democrats spend a lot of time on how nice Joe Biden is. And the Republicans spend a lot of time on how you may hate Donald Trump, but look at all the stuff he's doing for you. They even had the Democratic mayor of Eveleth, I think I'm pronouncing Eveleth, I think it's Eveleth, Minnesota, on stage last night. He's a Democrat. Listen to this. Bob Vlasolovich, mayor of Eveleth, a small town in the Iron Range of Minnesota. My father and grandfather earned their livings mining the raw materials that made the steel that built America. This election is a make or break for workers who are carrying on the legacy of men like them. Since the Iron Range economy is vulnerable to economic trends and to foreign trade, we have always needed a strong voice in Washington. We looked to Democrats to fill that void for many years because we actually thought they cared about our welfare. Not anymore. The radical environmental movement has dragged the Democratic Party so far to the left they can no longer claim to be advocates of the working man. This is hard for me to say because I am a lifelong Democrat. But for far too long, members of both parties allowed our country to be ripped off by our trading partners, especially China, who dumped steel into our markets and slapped tariffs on our products. And what did so-called leaders like Joe Biden do? Nothing. The human cost has been devastating. We lost thousands of jobs. We lost a generation of young people who had to leave the Iron Range to find a livelihood. And worst of all, we lost hope. Then something unexpected happened. A straight-talking New Yorker burst onto the scene, promising to stand up to China and the rest of the world on behalf of the American worker. Four years later, the Iron Range is roaring back to life, and we have one man to thank, President Donald Trump. He made good on his promises by cutting our taxes, rolling back senseless regulations, and delivering trade deals that put America's interests first. But the fight is not over. Joe Biden has allowed radicals like AOC to craft his environmental policies. Their so-called Green New Deal is a job-killing disgrace dreamt up by people who don't live in the real world. But Biden is too weak, too scared, and too sleepy to stand up to the radical left. He has been doing nothing in Washington for 47 years. Why would year 48 be any different? President Trump won't back down to anybody. He delivered the best economy in our history, and he will do it again for all of us. The Iron Range's economic future and survival is at stake, and so is America's. We know we can count on President Trump to fight for us and win. Let's make sure he wins on November 3rd. God bless America. You know, the president did not win Minnesota in 2016. But given the collapse of Minneapolis from the rioting and the way Minneapolis handled defunding the police, I wouldn't count out Minnesota. The president lost the suburbs. Uh, let, let me 2016 presidential. While, while I'm, I'm doing this, I, I want to pull this up because I, I don't know the exact percentages. But let me 
Look and see. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at this. Look at this. Hillary Clinton won Minnesota 46.44% to Donald Trump's 44.92%. The president won uh, some of the counties there pretty significantly, but the the Minneapolis-St. Paul area really dominated um, the, the um, really dominated. So she got a million three hundred sixty-seven thousand votes. The president got a million three hundred twenty-two thousand votes. Pretty significant. And I think what you're going to see is some of these areas. They could be closer. So, for example, uh, Hillary Clinton barely won Dakota County. Dakota County is the third largest county in in terms of of vote turnout, and she barely won it. She barely won Washington and Olmstead County, which are two of the other big county turnout uh, areas. And that genuinely matters when it when it comes to uh, when, when it comes to to um, 2020. And there are a lot of people. Who, what about Jill Stein? You know, Jill Stein did throw this off. Yes, that's true. But she only got thirty six thousand votes in Minnesota. There's a real path forward in Minnesota for Donald Trump, and the Democrats know it, and the Republicans know it. And the violence and, and the chaos in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, helps the president. The violence and chaos in Kenosha, Wisconsin, helps the president in Wisconsin. The the flubbing of the situation in Wisconsin by the mayor or by the governor of Wisconsin. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, federal aid was obtained by a congressman to help the Kenosha, Wisconsin area, and the governor of the state has declined the help, has declined the assistance from Donald Trump. Stuff like this matters in the real world. Stuff like this matters in the real world. And I'm just, I'm stunned I'm genuinely stunned that the Democrats don't understand this. They they don't seem to have a clue on what's going on out there. And this gets to the big Achilles heel for the Democratic Party. I want to read you actually what I wrote this morning. Now, there's no reason for me to re-put it in someone else's words. I'll read you what I wrote. Some of you won't like it. The biggest weakness the Democrats have right now is their bubble. The most prominent black voices that the Democrats listen to have more in common with the secular white atheists at the top of the Democratic Party than with the black family in Middle Tennessee. The woke white activists of the Democratic Party have more in common with the rich elite than the Hispanic worker just trying to make a living. Democrats embraced identity politics so much that they wanted a whole lot of people who look completely different from one another, but who all think the same thing. That thinking is the thinking of people within 25 miles of a coast. But there are way more people within 100 miles of an American river valley who'd really like to go to work today without Black Lives Matters activists harassing them and burning down their businesses. Look at the reaction of Nikki Haley claiming America's not a racist country. The woke pundits and Democrats are furious and can't distinguish racists from the country. The white woke people want to lecture us that we cannot deny the country is racist without considering what it's like to be black in America experiencing racism. Actually, it's quite possible to recognize there are racists and racism in America without thinking the whole country's racist. The Democrats want to fight on this ground is actually ground on which Donald Trump can win. The Democrats don't seem to get that, but the Republicans explicitly and implicitly understand it, and it's exactly why the president suddenly is drawing close to Joe Biden in the polls. <laughs> y'all, 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 I just got, I, I just got hate mail. We should do a designated hate mail segment. From Michael in middle Georgia, 
subject, your horrible show. I loved the previous show, but for some ridiculous reason that I can only assume was money-driven, the local station here in Middle Georgia chose to replace his show with yours. I probably catch only 30 minutes of your show every day as I listen to it for background noise in my car running errands. You are the most pompous and arrogant personality I know. Today, you went way over the line. You constantly spew crap that is obviously made up, but you really did it today. There is no way you are tracking IP addresses from the White House. That's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. I promise you, the White House is not sitting on every word of a failed wannabe conservative who ran red state into the ground. Furthermore, you reported as fact that Nick Sandman won a large amount of money in his lawsuit. You have no idea if that is true or not. The details of that case have not been released. I literally pray that your show will go away. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. You know what? I actually can track IP addresses because the executive office of the president uh, actually is tagged within Google Analytics. And you yourself can do that if the White House ever bothers to visit your program. And dear Michael, you know, unlike you, the president of the United States actually calls me on my cell phone. Sorry, Michael. Sorry you don't like the truth. Sorry you don't like that people actually pay attention to me, including yourself. I mean, you yourself say you're listening on background noise, and yet you know these are things I'm saying. Also, uh, yeah, man, I, I can tell you Nick Sandman got a lot of money from those. It doesn't matter that the details aren't released. I may not know the precise amount, but, dude, Nick Sandman got a ton of money from media outlets. You know it, and I know it. Every single person knows he made a killing off those lawsuits. Um, that's you in denial. I, I just, I, I absolutely find this hilarious uh, that this guy is so upset about those two things, both of which are true. And by the way, I actually know who my subscribers are. This is actually one of the cool things about the Substack list that I've been doing. Uh, I can actually see who's subscribing. Do you know how many people from the White House actually subscribe my email? And I can see that they've read it. I don't even have to track the IP addresses anymore in Google Analytics. I can, I do, for the resurgent, for the email newsletter. I can see if people who EO EOP.WHO.GOV are actually opening the, the, the email. Actually, what is it exactly? It's, it's EOP.WhiteHouse.gov. EOP. Uh, what is her address? Um, uh, just just so just just so we know, just just so we're all on the same page here. Uh, the the actual email address ends in in WHO. That's White House. EOP Executive Office of the President. GOV. And you also have who.eovp.gov. That's the executive office of the vice president. I got a lot of people from that as well who listen. I'm sorry it upsets you, Michael, that people actually listen to me beyond yourself, but they do. They do. Man, the level of butthurt from people out there who, who I don't know, that they, they, they think of themselves as very high. I mean, typically, I find that when people accuse you of being very arrogant, they themselves are. The fact that someone would email me and, and claim to know things that they don't know or claim that I don't know things that I do actually is more of a reflection of them. And you're getting it more this in this day and age. And, and the reason you are right now is because so many people are stressed out about the election and it's all consuming at this point. There's really no escape from the election. So while Michael is praying that my show goes away, we should all probably be praying for him right now because it sounds like he's got a level of instability in his life and stress in his life uh, that he needs to deal with. People are making 
partisanship so, so personal. It's like the First Lady's speech last night from the Rose Garden. First Lady of the United States gives a good speech from the Rose Garden. And the left is still melting down about the Rose Garden. Y'all, the White House released a, it's over 200, it's close to 300 page report on why they had to renovate the Rose Garden. You know, one of the things that the White House has done a lot of digging going back to the the Bush administration after 9-11, a lot of digging, lots of speculation as to what they've been building underneath the White House, but it's caused the Rose Garden to sink a little bit and it becomes a pool and it rains hard. So they had to elevate, they had to regrade it. It wasn't ADA compliant, so they needed to put in limestone pavers so people in wheelchairs could actually experience the Rose Garden. They had to do all sorts of stuff. And all of this stuff began in the Obama administration. Buddy Mellon died a few years ago. She was the woman who designed it, redesigned it. It was already there. It was already Rose Garden, but she made it famous for Jackie Kennedy. And, and the Obama administration folks started talking to her before she died in 2014. The plan went on and on. It updated. The The trees in the Rose Garden were getting leaf fungus because of the, the water. They were getting root rot and other things. And so they had to fix it all. And they did. And it was fine. And you actually had people who they didn't want to read the report. They, they didn't want to understand what was going on. They just, they had presumptions in their head like this Michael guy. They just made presumptions in their head that weren't true, that they presumed were true based on their limited understanding and small intelligence. And it turns out they were wrong. She actually did a good job. And it really wasn't even her. It was an outside nonpartisan committee that used mostly private funds to make it happen. And yet they lost their mind because they wanted to lose their minds. They wanted to be angry. Michael, dear Michael, wants to be angry. We should pray for him. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I am curious about your take on the convention and what happened. I'm going to go to Mark calling from Warner Robins. Mark, welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. I I, uh, I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on the Nick Sandman thing. Um, to be a young kid, because he's, what, 17 maybe? Yeah. He comes across as so articulate and very well put together. I mean, he's not a – he's not something that the media has created, you know, for a, for a cause. They created him – out of hate and he is he's gonna bite them in the rear for a lot of years because that big old pile of cash that he is sitting on and anyone that doesn't think that he got a lot of money is a fool he had no reason to settle unless he was getting cash yeah everything was on his side i mean the the law was on his side they they made him into a public figure he was not a public figure while he was standing on those steps. So there was the logic behind him not getting cash. He had no reason to settle unless he was getting a big number. But I was just yeah. so impressed with him as a young person. I think he's going to be around for a while, and he, he may use that big pile of cash and be a senator from Kentucky. Who knows? 
Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I first of all, the uh, poor Michael who is is upset with me for extrapolating. He got a lot of money. I I I was a lawyer. I actually was a lawyer for a media institution. I kind of know how these things work. When the judge rules that your case can go forward and you decide to settle out of court, it means you know the jury is not going your direction, and so you settle for a lot of money. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that stuff out, um, and it doesn't matter whether they can disclose it or not. You know, and, and the kid stood up there last night. He's got a compelling story to tell, and, and one of the things that I'm noticing, Mark, and, and you touched on this a little bit, is one of the the – overarching messages that you're hearing from the Republican convention this week is that this sort of stuff can happen to you too. And I don't think the Democrats appreciate enough that that message is resonating with the American public. Your car dealership can get burned down. Not the one you own, but the one you work at. Your florist shop can be put out of business by gay rights activists because you won't provide flowers for a same-sex wedding. Your kid can be defamed by the media. I got to tell you, uh, and this, I find that this tweet of mine is still viral in a certain segment of of the left. And, And the reason I know is because I occasionally get tagged on Instagram where someone has seen it and recirculated it angrily. But I, I put up a tweet back during the Sandman stuff that I got to believe suburban mothers are horrified that their sons could be have their character assassinated and be defamed by the national media for daring to support a cause uh, that they love. And I think the Sandman story resonates with suburban soccer moms more than the president's tweets about suburban housewives resonates. I think the Sandman story resonates. Here's a kid who the media just destroyed, defamed, tried to ruin, remember his school got threatened, his school had to close down because of the death threats. Now, they, they didn't close down permanently, but they had to close for several days because of death threats. And it was all because of the media coverage. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, these sorts of things resonate. You you may hate the president, you may hate Republicans, and you, you, because of your hate, you, you don't understand how this stuff is resonating. The Sandman story is a compelling story. That kid did get a lot of money, Michael. I'm sorry. You, you, you don't seem to believe it. And people in the White House know that that story resonates. Now, let's go to Robert. For, oh, man, Robert. I, Robert, I, I, I got I to gotta admit, I, I'm not sure I want to take your call because I'm, I'm jealous you're over at Lake Oconee. And, man, I, I tried to find a uh, like Airbnb over there to just go hang out on the lake this weekend, and there's nothing. You people over there hoard your property, and it's beautiful, and I'm jealous. I got a couple of guest rooms you want to come by. <laughs> yeah, you don't want my whole family pile in. How are you? Thanks for calling. What's going I'm- on? I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, you can come out on the boat. I got a nice Bennington bow rider. You know, we could go out and just go around. Nice. All right. Yeah. You didn't hey, call so, in to talk so, about Lake Oconee yeah. and make me jealous, though. Dishwashers. Yeah, dishwashers, so you were yes. saying that you're, like, keeping your old soldier alive by throwing parts and money at it. Uh-huh. I have um, Series 800 Bosch, which is a new dishwasher. It's really quiet. I mean, it's like 42 decibels. And I use that along with the um, Cascade Platinum little packets. And, and it things works. come out sparkling. 
Oh, absolutely. So, you know, uh, it's funny you should call me about this because a buddy of mine actually texted me yesterday. He's a, he's a, a, a writer up in Washington, D.C., used to work for the Weekly Standard. And he, Bosch, he said, that's the only dishwasher brand you should have in your house. It's the only one that'll actually clean dishes these days. Uh, and it, it's very funny because he he wants a quiet dishwasher. And so he got the Bosch and he, he actually yeah. has this very, very funny story. He went to a certain large big box hardware store and got the Bosch and they sent him the wrong one. And it was the loud one. And he wanted the quiet. Well, he wanted the one that you've got. Uh, that is super quiet. The other one is not nearly as quiet, and they wouldn't come back and replace it uh, without charging him 10%. And good Lord, I thought the poor guy was going to lose his mind over that. But yes, um, you, you're right. You know, I, I had several people call yesterday and or email me and say, I heard your segment. Uh, I've got a new dishwasher, and my dishwasher works just fine. Well, I, I suppose I should clarify a little bit here on the dishwasher stuff, and, and thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, I, I suppose I should clarify enough. There are dishwashers you can get today, like the Bosch, uh, that actually do a very good job. That they, they tend to be on the higher end price point. But your run of the mill, average middle class dishwasher that the person wants to buy for a couple hundred bucks at your local hardware store, they're not as good anymore. And they're not as good for two reasons. One, it takes them a lot longer to run because of the efficiency stuff with with uh, scanning the water to make sure debris is gone. Uh, and two. Uh, they don't work as well with modern dishwasher detergents that don't have phosphates in them. Uh, Y'all, this is not me. There have been numerous studies done. And and for people who are telling me, no, my dishwasher works great. That's God bless you. I'm glad your dishwasher works great. The Bosch that Robert has is is a great dishwasher. If I, if I got to buy a new one, I'm going to buy the Bosch because it's quiet and it works great. But your average new dishwasher these days doesn't. And that's not me. That is all the reviews of the dishwashers. That is the EPA standards. I, I'm, I'm, you, you can deny it, but I'm telling you, it actually, it, it actually matters. Now I, I didn't, I didn't want to deviate too far on the, the dishwasher thing, but I'm glad Robert called because I, I've had so many people No, my dishwasher. Yeah. Anecdotes, not data people. I got the data on this one. Now we need to turn our attention to the big speech of the night last night. I was actually surprised Melania Trump spoke as long as she did. It was a longer speech than I expected. It was a good speech. She was connecting with moms, and I want to play you some of her speech. I'm here because we need my husband to be our president and commander-in-chief for four more years. He's what is best for our country. We all know Donald Trump makes no secrets about how he feels about things. Total honesty is what we as citizens deserve from our president. Whether you like it or not, you always know what he's thinking. And that is because he's an authentic person who loves this country and its people and wants to continue to make it better. Donald wants to keep your family safe. He wants to help your family succeed. He wants nothing more than for this country to prosper and he doesn't waste time playing politics. That, of course, made members of the left mad. And then she went there. We'll support then and we are still grateful today. I want to acknowledge the fact that since March, our lives have changed drastically. The invisible enemy, COVID-19, swept across our beautiful country and impacted 
all of us. My deepest sympathy goes out to everyone who has lost a loved one, and my prayers are with those who are ill or suffering. I know many people are anxious and some feel helpless. I want you to know you are not alone. My husband's administration will not stop fighting until there is an effective treatment or vaccine available to everyone. Donald will not rest until he has done all he can to take care of everyone impacted by this terrible pandemic. I want to extend my gratitude to all of the healthcare professionals, frontline workers and teachers who stepped up in these difficult times. Bette Midler, the actress, called Melania Trump last night an illegal alien. Uh, one pundit used the B word, saw several left-wing activists use the C word. They were not happy with her speech. It was very funny watching CNN last night where they're like, oh, she spoke more about COVID than, than the president's team did. And, you know, on Monday night, the president and his team did a good job, I thought. They they spent time with first responders and people affected by COVID-19. I mean, you, you had that very funny moment with the president uh, talking about COVID-19. I'm a police officer in Inglewood, Colorado, and I contracted COVID in late March and recovered. That means we don't have to be afraid of you at all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Once you're recovered, you know, we have the whole thing with plasma happening. Mm -hmm. That means your blood is very valuable. You know that, right? (laughs) Thank you very much. Great. Please. I'm a detention deputy, the Kern County Sheriff's Department out in California. Great. And uh, I also contracted COVID um, into March and recovered from that also. How long was your problem? Um, I was sick about 10 days, really bad. I got everything besides a cough, um, but recovered. I was off work for a month and a half. And I work in our local county jails. Did they do anything specifically to help you recover? They gave me z packs medication, cough syrup. Okay, and I won't even ask you about the hydroxychloroquine because <laughs> it's, uh, it's a shame what they've done to that one. But, but I took it. I took the z pack also and zinc. I want to thank you all very much. It's an honor to have you in the White House. You're fantastic people. And the people you represent, you represent an incredible group of people, and uh, we love you all. Thank you very much. He had that great moment on Monday night, and last other, oh, he hadn't talked about the virus. Well, you, you know what? Here's, can I tell you a dirty little secret? It, it's not really a secret. American concerns about COVID-19 are starting to fade as the virus is starting to fade. The, the, the data is starting to show the viral improvement. If you text the word data to 33777, you will see the Georgia data. I'll send you back a link. Text data to 33777, and I'll send you back a link. And right now in our seven-day moving average, the total number of of cases based on data report is 2,437. You got to go back to July 3rd now, July, July 3rd to get something comparable. If you actually look at the date of onset, remember when you get the date of report, they figure out when did your symptoms start and they and they assign you to that day. We're at, even with schools reopening, 2,155. Uh, and you got to go back to June 24th to get there. 
we're trending in the right direction in Georgia, and it's not just Georgia. The New York Times actually has probably the most comprehensive uh, data analysis, and um, it, it really is uh, here in the map. Uh, let me read you what the New York Times says. Over the past week, there have been an average of 42,072 cases per day, a decrease of 22% from an average two weeks earlier. We have decreased every week since July 20, July 24th. We've been going down since July 24th nationwide. The nation is improving. Georgia is improving. The direction is headed in the right direction. And guess what's happening? Correspondingly, as the nation gets better, the president's polling improves, including during the Democratic convention. And so then to have the first lady on stage last night from the Rose Garden with a live audience, no less, something the Democrats didn't do. And talk to moms about the stress of dealing with the virus and homeschooling your kids. That resonates with people. That resonates. And the Democrats don't seem to get it. That They can't understand. You know, here, here's the thing. I don't believe that the election is going to be stolen by either side. If the entire nation goes to mail-in balloting, I, I, it, it's not going to get stolen. Some of you may believe it's going to get stolen. Uh, you, you, your brains have been rotted by partisanship, and, and you may believe it, it, the election is going to get stolen. But, you know, if, if the president really does win in November, the Democrats really won't be able to fathom that he got reelected. I actually think if the election were held today, Joe Biden would win and the Democrats would probably take the Senate. I, but the election's not today. I really do think the Democrats right now do have an advantage, but the polling is beginning to shift towards the president. I really do believe both sides realize this because of their behavior and their ads. I really do believe the president's team understands the polling is wrong because of how they're redirecting resources to certain states, including here in Georgia. But the race isn't today. You're still 70 days away. Things can change. They will change. And the Democrats are going to be caught flat-footed. They have not been able to address the issue of violence in the streets because the party's been held so captive by those people in the streets. They can't denounce them or they'll lose their base. It's no easy thing when you're held captive by those people. The, the media has been lecturing us on the Republicans being held hostage by a white supremacist. The Democrats are being held hostage by Antifa. And the media can't even recognize that. And But the Democrats know it enough to know Joe Biden can't go out and have a sister soldier moment right now and denounce the violence in the streets because his base would stay home in November, and that's a problem for them. Yeah, now I'm getting hate mail from people on the right for what I just said. There's no winning here. There's no winning. All I do is call it like I see it. If the election were held today, I do think Joe Biden would win. I do. Uh, I, I think Joe Biden would win, and the Democrats would probably take back the Senate. Uh, the, the trend lines right now have the president behind, and the president has a problem. He's having a great, great week. The Republican National Convention is being well executed. But the president's chief problem is the president. They're going to have a great week because it's stagecraft, it's choreographed, it's focused. The president is not. And he can sabotage his entire message with one tweet on Friday. And he's got to be careful. 
the Republicans are headed in the right direction right now. The polling is narrowing. Everyone expected the polling to narrow. I don't think they expected it to narrow right after the Democratic convention. I mean, this is the first time in in memory I can recall that the that someone got a bounce out of their opponent's convention, and Donald Trump clearly got a bounce out of the Democrats' convention. Um, it, Biden's electoral college win probability is down. And I I I got to tell you, um, I'm I I I'm I'm still think that Biden has the edge in this. Don't send me hate mail on this. I'm I'm trying to tell you what's going on out there, and and don't tell me all the polling's wrong. There are some bad polling out there, but I'm smart enough to know and have done it long enough to be able to figure out which ones are good. At the same time, the trend lines are all headed in Donald Trump's direction. The fact that the Democrats left on the table violence last week and never addressed it, the fact that they've been held captive by Antifa uh, while pushing narratives against the president, the fact that the the virus is receding, uh, y'all, this is, this is actually going to be a thing. And I can tell you something else that's going to happen as well. Uh, Hurricane Laura continues to gain strength along the Gulf Coast as it makes inroads. It could be Category 4. It could be here as the president uh, is speaking on Thursday night from the White House, and that's going to be an excuse for the media to ignore his speech. You watch. It's going to happen. The media is going to ignore the speech and focus on the hurricane uh, because the media is a little bit upset that their own polling is showing this narrowing. They've got to find a new news story and and God's give them a hurricane to focus on. I guarantee you that's going to happen. If the election were held today, Joe Biden would win. The election is not today. The election is 70 days away. The trend lines are moving in the president's direction. Turns out the American middle class in suburbia actually is concerned about the violence they're seeing in the streets, and they blame the left for it. They don't blame the right. They're focused on Joe Biden not calling out defunding the police on the campaign stage last week, and now they believe he really believes it. Even in fairness to him, he doesn't. The American people think he does, and the president is making inroads with black men as voters. These are not good signs for the Democrats. Will the president have the discipline to stay on message and focus and, and, and the discipline to do this? I have my doubts, but let's let's be realistic about where we are right now. All right, we'll continue taking your phone call when we come back. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, I want to continue some focus on the convention from last night, but also there is other news out there, including I, I got to play you a clip of Brian Seller from CNN. He, he's got a new book out attacking Fox that he says, diving deep truth about Fox News. We, I got to play you some of that audio there because uh, there are some points to be made in how all of this stuff is being covered. And well, I got some thoughts on this. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. This is the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program? It is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got to play this audio for you. Uh, Talk about saying the quiet part out loud. Don Lemon uh, is uh, was speaking with Chris Cuomo overnight. Listen to this. I do think that uh, this, what you said, what's happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. 
So it's not going to, the, the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country and that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch and on Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president, then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know, and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, right? And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. <laughs> it's showing up in the polling and it's showing up in the focus group. You know how you can tell things are showing up when the Democrats change their talking points? You know there's a problem. You're going to hear this as partisan. I don't intend for this to be a partisan point. You will hear it as a partisan point because I realize that's the age we live in. But it is distinctly notable to me that for weeks on end, the media, led by the New York Times, said that all of these protests were peaceful, and Democrats said Republicans were exaggerating it and denying it, and now suddenly, suddenly, the Democrats are upset about the riots. Don Lemon hits on something there in his clip. Don Lemon hits on the fact that it is showing up in the polling. Showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is. And the Democrats have suddenly changed. I thought it was very notable two Sundays ago now. David Axelrod, I believe it was, was on CNN uh, talking about the rioting was unacceptable. Uh, other Democrats came out thereafter and also said the same thing. And then there's another issue. Schools. You had Melania Trump last night at the White House addressing schooling issues Democrats for weeks have said, we can't open schools. We cannot do it. There's no way to open schools. It's impossible to open safely. And now suddenly you've got Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate saying, we've got to find out, we've got to find a way to open schools. You've got Democratic politicians around the country now saying, we've got to open schools. Polling is not good for Democrats on these two issues. It's why you've had the Republicans now uh, for two days at their convention, highlight these two things. It is the only two issues that the Republicans really have in this campaign, but they are issues that happen to resonate with voters big time. The fact that people, the working class, not the rich white people who can afford nannies and tutors, working people need their kids back in school so they can go back to work. And People really don't want to show up at work and have their business burned down to the ground. And Democrats, I think, understand this, but they have done a very bad job of articulating this. They've done a bad job articulating this 
because in large part, this is the Democratic Party activist base, and their position is that there is injustice and burning down these businesses. The businesses have insurance. You've heard Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others say this, that burning down a business is not violence. They have insurance. They can rebuild, but it's a statement to shock the conscience and wake people up. Normal people don't think like that, and and that the, the Democrats are held captive by these people actually helps the president. Uh, normal people need to go to work, and they can't go to work when their kids are home all day. they got to stay home and help their kids do homeschool or, or on Zoom, and, and it doesn't help that so many teachers now in public schools are, are that the parents are home watching and learning and realizing, what is this crap they're teaching my kid? There was actually a public school teacher who on Twitter was venting about having parents eavesdropping in on his lessons. How can he deal with the issues of homophobia and transgenderism and racism if if he can't if he can't have the kids by themselves to talk to them about uh, their possible queerness and gender issues? I mean, he went on this entire time. This is a public school teacher in America saying he needs parents to not listen. There are some school systems that are getting parents to certify they won't eavesdrop. On the lessons, that's actually happening in this country. School systems don't want parents to listen to what the teachers are teaching the kids. And it's not just because the parents will realize they're learning crap new math. These issues resonate with voters. And that Democrats don't seem to understand. Don Lemon gets it and the Democratic Party doesn't. There's... There's a problem here. This is not partisan, y'all. This is just reality. Deal with the reality of the situation. Parents need their kids back in school, and people really don't want to show up at work one day and find it burned to the ground by Antifa activists. And if you can't understand that, I I can't help you, and you're going to lose because of it, because you can't understand that. Overwhelmingly, the Democrats, I think, do privately understand it, but publicly, they can't really talk about it because... They, they're held hostage. They're held hostage to the left. And that's, that's not a good setup for them. It's a great setup for Donald Trump. And clearly the Republicans know it. Clearly the Republicans know this. Now, I, I, y'all, listen, I, I don't want to spend all day. There's a lot of convention news out there. I can, looking at at Hurricane Laura, the way it's going, you know, Drudge always does a very good job. I don't know what's happening to Drudge these days. Don't ask. Um, But looking at at, at the computer models of of where things are going to be, we are are looking at a significant hurricane that is going to uh, come in right between Texas and Louisiana. And it is coming soon. Um, That is, what is it? The Sabine River. Yes. uh, Port Arthur area near Houston, this hurricane is going to come in and it is a big hurricane and it is continuing to intensify. And it looks like by the time it gets inland, we're going to, it's going to have a major impact on the news. And I guarantee you the media is looking for a way to get out of covering the Republican convention. And they're going to use this hurricane to get out of covering the Republican convention. Because they already think it's a disinformation campaign anyway. It's amazing to watch the fact checkers on TV. You know what a fact checker is? A fact checker is actually a progressive journalist who got tired of people not believing what they were writing. So they've gotten the label fact checker now and think that somehow people will believe them more now. And they're not. 
I mean, the, the fact checkers directly contradict themselves. What, what was the one yesterday? Oh, I know what it was. Um, yeah, yesterday, uh, one of the one of the statements Don Jr. made in his speech on Monday night was that the president, or when was yeah Wednesday night, uh, Monday night, the, the president uh, got out of the Iran deal after the Obama Biden administration had sent them a plane full of cash. And the fact checker for the Washington Post actually said that that was not true. And then in the body actually acknowledged that it was true. The headline said Don Jr. was wrong about it, but the body of the piece actually acknowledged that, yes, a plane full of cash went to Iran, but it was actually Iranian money, not American money. Therefore, Don Jr. was false, even though he never said whose money it was, just that they sent him a plane full of cash. These people are broken. One of the people who's been broken by the president is Brian Stelter on CNN, runs reliable sources. Uh, out of school, he became a media reporter. He loves the media. Brian Seller does love the media. He loves to cover the media. He loves news about the media. He started a, um, a website called TV Newser, got bought. He got hired by CNN. He's got a new book out on Fox. And I, I want to play for you this little bit of audio. My laundry. This is what happens when something starts on Fox. Some crazy thing starts on Fox. Trump picks up on it, tweets about it. And then the rest of us, all the rest of the networks, all the newspapers, we all cover the story. But a funny thing always happens at Fox. They stop pointing out that it started with them. They don't point out that the conspiracy theory or the lie or the smear started on their airwaves. They just act like the president came up with it out of thin air. And I think that's irresponsible. It's also irresponsible that there's nobody really actually firmly in charge there to make sure that misinformation doesn't get on the air or the people are held accountable when it does. Unfortunately, though, the audience, they eat it up. The ratings are higher for Fox News than ever before because they are told, viewers are told every day not to trust anything else. They're told everything else could be a hoax, it could be fake. And ultimately, that's dangerous for democracy. We need a healthier conservative media ecosystem. Need a healthier conservative ecosystem because Fox is a danger to democracy. You know why we don't have a healthier conservative ecosystem out there? Uh, because CNN and MSNBC don't want to hire conservatives. Now, I say that as someone who at one time was hired by CNN. And then I went to Fox for five years, and it was made very clear to me when I left Fox uh, that if you worked at Fox, you weren't going to get hired at CNN. MSNBC doesn't want to hire Republicans unless they're Republicans who tell them exactly what they want to hear. You go to CNN and you go to MSNBC, and it's very notable to me uh, that in their panels of Republicans, it is people who absolutely despise the president and and believe the president's a menace to society. The, the conservative voices, as pitched by these networks, are not necessarily conservative. Now, some of them are. Like, for example, Amanda Carpenter. I know I like Amanda Carpenter. We're friends. She does not like the president. She's now writing over the bulwark. I think she's participating in the Lincoln Project. And, you know, she she's a good conservative. She worked for Ted Cruz. She worked for Jim DeMint. She's unquestionably a, a conservative. But her frame of mind at this point is all very anti-Trump. And it's hard to understand a bunch of Republicans and the conservative movement uh, when you yourself despise the president so much that shapes how you view things. I, I, I Listen, Anna Navarro on CNN, we are friends. We've been friends for a long time. We've been friends since we worked at CNN. She and I completely disagree on the issue of Trump. And I, I don't think you get an accurate snapshot from Anna of what's actually going on with the Republican Party right now. She's got an opinion. She's entitled to it. She's very funny on TV, but she's not really part of the conservative movement or even the Republican Party at this moment.
when you looked at MSA, when you looked at CNN's panel last week of people talking about the Republican convention, you typically had three or four Democrats who all agreed with each other in various ways versus one Republican. When you look at how they're covering the Republican convention this week with CNN, the panel is a bunch of people who claim to be Republican but haven't voted Republican in a while and hate the Republican Party. And this is how CNN wants to frame things. If if you want to say we need a new conservative news network, you need to acknowledge that the existing networks aren't serving conservatives and aren't representative of what conservatives think. And that's why Fox exists as it does. And that's why so many people watch Fox. Fox is a network that actually caters to people who do not live along the American coast, but actually live within 100 miles of a river valley. I when I was when I was looking to, uh, between CNN and Fox, Bill Shine, then Roger Ailes right-hand man brought me to Fox to persuade me to come to Fox. And he said, here's why you should come to Fox. CNN and MSNBC are fighting with each other over the coast, and Fox is the only co- uh, only news network that actually takes the time to figure out what people in the heartland care about. And he's right, and he's right to this day. It is why Fox is so dominant. And, and the arrogance of people in the media who don't understand that who want to be the guardians of of who can call themselves a Republican or conservative on TV is one reason the media is broken and is one reason Fox resonates with people. One of the things I've learned about the left in the last several years is that they believe they should be the gatekeeper of which conservative voices you can hear. And inevitably, in every case, the conservative they want to hear from is the conservative who isn't really a conservative, but someone who tells them exactly what they want to hear. And those people dominate the other networks. And as long as they dominate the other networks, you're never even going to try to mount competition to Fox News. And Fox is going to stay dominant. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The full number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Y'all, the situation in Kenosha, Wisconsin is uh, not a good situation. Uh, It continues to escalate there. The local congressman tried to get some federal help, and the um, Democratic governor there blocked the help. And this, listen, the president could very well win Wisconsin as a result of this. Uh, it is, it's a, um, it is a touchy situation and it is a situation where so much of the media coverage tries to put the left-wing activists in the worst, in, in the best possible light. And now we have video of, uh, the guy who was shot there and it looks like he was struggling with the cops and was reaching in his car as people concluded, Uh, This is from the Washington Post. Two people were killed and one was seriously wounded by gunfire late Tuesday at a protest over the police shooting of Jacob Blake Jr., Kenosha police said on Wednesday. The shootings came after a confrontation between protesters and armed men who said they were protecting a gas station, witnesses said. Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel the police are searching for a man seen in video footage holding a long gun. I feel very confident we'll have him in a short time. Shots were fired around 11.45 p.m. Tuesday. After the first shots, a young white man carrying a rifle began running north on Sheridan Road away from a crowd of protesters. Video shows the armed man fall to the ground and then fire multiple rounds into the crowd. Two more people fell to the ground, one shot in the arm, the other in the chest. Another graphic video shows a man with blood running down the back of his neck and bystanders shouting he'd been shot in the head. Carol Bedoni from Burlington, Wisconsin, started CPR on one wounded man. His girlfriend said his name is Ben. He definitely was not breathing, said Bedoni, 50. His eyes were rolled back in his head. There was no pulse. 
Bodoni added, I never run toward trouble, but it's worth getting shot for somebody else. Police soon took Ben to a nearby hospital. Kenosha police have not identified uh, any of the shooting victims. The confrontation of the gas station unfolded after police dispersed protesters outside the Kenosha County Courthouse who had been launching fireworks at officers protecting it. Police responded with tear gas and drove protesters in the direction of the gas station where they were met by armed men, members of what the police described as vigilante militia groups that had descended on the city. Beth told the New York Times that investigators are looking into the armed men in front of the gas station who were recorded before the shooting arguing with protesters. One of the men told the Washington Post that he was there to stop people from breaking into local businesses, noting he had seen rumors online about pipe bombs being used. Kenosha has been beset by violence since Wednesday when Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot several times in the back by Kenosha police as he stepped into a car with his children inside. Earlier Tuesday, Blake's family said he was paralyzed and in critical condition while his mother pleads for peaceful protests. Not a good situation. Police in Madison, Wisconsin, that's the state's capital, have arrested multiple people after a march near the capital gave way to property damage and fires. You know, in um, Portland, Oregon now, it appears protesters tried to cement the doors of a police station and set fire to the police station with police inside. The ATF is now investigating that one. Y'all, I got to tell you, this is uh, the nation at a cracking point, and it really isn't the president who's to blame. Now, I know that this will make some of you mad, but Here's the truth of the matter. The left in this country lost power. And the left in this country believes it is entitled to power. And they have created a mythology as to why Donald Trump has power, that they they believe now their mythology that the Russians stole the election, and it is simply not true. But their belief in that mythology has given them license to behave violently. They were just looking for an excuse to behave violently because they believe the country is unjust, they believe the country is racist, and they believe that only through their their acts of violence can they make it right. And I gotta tell you that this isn't gonna work. Even if Joe Biden gets elected, what we're gonna see is, is a backlash to a lot of this. We're going to see Uh, the nation swing in the opposite direction, and they're going to react badly to these Antifa protesters. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know something you, you don't hear me mention often on this program? I don't mention the word Zogby, and I tend not to mention the word Rasmussen. I do not find either one to be very credible pollsters. And as a result, I don't pay attention to them. And right now, Zogby, I see a lot of conservatives buzzing that their polling has him up. 
uh, the, the president up to 52%. And Zogby years ago was a credible pollster. I, I, I think they've traded on that reputation for too long now. Uh, Rasmussen has him down, and nobody's signing Rasmussen today when usually Rasmussen is the one. But I, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I tend to pay attention to the polling averages. Now, why do you pay attention to the polling averages? Individual polls are crap. That's the technical term for it. But if you take the average of all the polls, uh, you tend to be able to see trend lines. And the trend lines aren't great for the president, but they're headed in the right direction. Let me read for you this by Jim Vandehe and Jonathan Swan. Axios has this story up. It feels like August of 2016 all over again. Polls show Donald Trump losing big. Pundits proclaim he can't win. Reporters sneer at Trump voters on Twitter and cable. There are several signs that could give the Trumpist toast self-assured pause. He's doing better in some swing state polls than he was at this point in 2016, and his floor of support holds strong regardless of what he says or does. Not only is the stock market on fire, but a lot of blue-collar workers in building, plumbing, and other manual crafts are doing quite well, too. Trump's big bet is that there are lots of working-class voters, especially in rural areas, who did not vote in 2016 but will this time. His other bet is that months of dumping on Joe Biden, often with lies or wild hyperbole, will do what he did to Hillary Clinton, make the Democratic nominee seem slightly more unpalatable than himself. The New York Times profiled a swath of Trump's steadfast supporters who outlined myriad reasons for wanting to reelect him, ranging from pragmatic to a gut-level attraction to his hard-nosed personality. And the social desirability factor in polling, do we tell the blunt truth, is a huge unknown this year because of the new attention to racial issues. Behind the scenes, people in Trump's orbit feel much better about the race than they did in mid-June. These officials feel the operation is becoming more disciplined and is more centered around a message that Biden and Harris embrace leftist policies and won't stand up to the violent excesses of the far left. But there are caveats. Biden has strengths Clinton didn't. He's viewed more favorably, is strongly supported among seniors. He's eating into Donald Trump's sweet spot with seniors, frankly. Women and college-educated whites are drifting away from Trump, and Trump now has a record to defend. Biden isn't as polarizing as Clinton inside or outside the Democratic Party. The Black Lives Matter movement and calls for social justice and progressive change are tugging Biden to the left, though. President Obama recently told the New Yorkers, Evan Osnos, if you look at Joe Biden's goal and Bernie Sanders' goal, they're not that different from a 40,000-foot level. A recent Wall Street Journal poll found only 13% of voters remain in play. That's enough to tick, tip the election. And it also found the president standing with Hispanics is as good, if not better, than 2016 and had improved his image by 20 points among whites, who are more than 70% of the electorate. That was, that was Axios reporting. And they're right. If the election were held today, Joe Biden would win. The election is not held today, and trends are in Donald Trump's direction. Donald Trump actually is doing well with Hispanic voters, and Democrats don't seem to understand that. Not only are Democrats doing, or not only is Donald Trump doing better with Hispanic voters, Donald Trump is doing well with black men. Not black women, but with black men. Donald Trump is doing well with white voters. They're making some risky gambles in the election, particularly that rural and exurban uh, voters are coming out to play in November in ways they didn't in 2016. But you know whose model they're using on that regard? They're using Brian Kemp here in Georgia. And you need to pay attention to this and why this is significant. In 2018, Stacey Abrams dominated 
the urban and suburban parts of Georgia, and she still lost. And she lost because Brian Kemp was able to maximize exurban and rural voters. Now, exurban voters are those who live just beyond the suburbs. They're not quite in, in rural parts of, of states, but they're no longer in suburbia. They're no longer in strip mall land. And, and Brian Kemp was able to turn those voters out, and he was able to do ground game. And, and the president is doing an unbelievable ground game. Uh, and, and, and in so doing his unbelievable ground game, the president was able to turn out, he is able to turn out voters in ways that they just, they just didn't in, in 2016, the president's team did not put a lot of effort into ground game in 2016 or in 2018. And they saw what happened with Brian Kemp and George and realized they needed to, and they've been investing in ground game infrastructure around the nation in ways Joe Biden has not, frankly. Joe Biden's team, for example, has only just put in place people in Georgia. The president's team has had people in place in Georgia for a long time now. And Georgia's not the only place. Wisconsin is another. Uh, Pennsylvania is another. The president's team has been there for a while now, setting up shop, identifying counties, identifying exurban and rural voters, suburban Republican voters, and voters in the interior of cities who may not normally vote Republican. And he's got a path forward here. He's got a path forward that I think a lot of people in the media don't appreciate. You know, in 2016, I really didn't see Donald Trump winning. And one of the data points that I missed in 2016 is that voters who hated both candidates, Clinton and Trump, were going overwhelmingly for Trump. Right now, those voters are going for Joe Biden, and that gives Biden an advantage. But they're trending, they're trending towards Donald Trump. And they're trending because what they see from the Democratic base. And it's starting to unnerve a number of Democrats and those who support Joe Biden. I want to play for you this clip that has just come up from John Kasich talking to Jim Scudo at CNN. And sometimes uh, violent protests. And of course, it's not the first time we've seen this. The president doubling down on a law and order message in response to that. What do you think Democrats uh, are obligated to do in the midst of this? Well, I've said a number of times now, and we'll say it again, uh, I think it is absolutely imperative for Joe Biden, who I, I have no doubt he feels this in his heart. Uh, protests are something we need. It's, it's the street organizers that rises and brings change from the bottom up. Martin Luther King, John Lewis, who we just celebrated his life and, and honored his death. Uh, so when we look at these, at these issues, violence has no place. Martin Luther King took the beatings, the gassings, the jailings and said we will not respond with violence. And I believe that it is absolutely essential for the Democrats to say while we support protesters, this violence is abhorrent and actually sets back the ability to get change. Now we don't know the full story in Wisconsin. It's this news that's coming out about perhaps a vigilante and what we know is that there are people who show up at these protests who are, who are there to design to disrupt and give everybody a bad name. But they have to be called out, Jim. Uh, Joe Biden needs to be very, very strong on the fact that while protests are 
are okay. They're, they're, they're a positive thing. They're America. This violence needs to be deeply condemned and deeply yeah. condemned now. Notice, notice him getting worked up about this. See, they, they know this is a problem, and, and Joe Biden can't. Now, I suspect they're trying to set Biden up for a sister soldier moment where Biden will come out and he'll say, yeah, the protest's good, rioters bad. And they'll say, see, he took it to the man. He's strong words from Joe Biden. And they'll say he did it, but no one else will see it that way. This is a problem for the Democrats right now. And it's one they are going to have to deal with if they want to win this election. Now, I want to go back to the phones, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, all the way to Perry, Georgia, and Tim. How are you, Tim? Hey, I'm well. How are you? Great. What's going on? Hey, I was just thinking, I was talking with a bunch of retired buddies, and we were looking at uh, how the Democrats and the left have, and the, and the media, has shaped the agenda for the campaigns. And I think Trump ought to step up and say, no, 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 we're not playing that game. You know, here, here's some of the issues we need to talk about and make the Democrats tend to uh, regroup and have to answer the questions. Uh, one of them would be term limits, not just in Congress, but at the state and local levels. Get the voters mobilized to come out and say, we're going to vote for Trump because he wants term limits. And while we're here, we're going to go ahead and vote for those that support term limits. You know, so I, I'm I'm not opposed to the president doing this, and, and maybe he would. But I, I just I, – I, my sense is that – he wouldn't come out with term limits and, and and probably won't even come out with, with budget and debt and deficit stuff because he's so focused on the cultural issues. And if he can find a way to tie them into cultural issues, maybe he would. But I, I just I think that the rioting and stuff uh, is is what dominates his mind right now. And I, I think at this point it would kind of be an interesting shift for him to do of of having pounded on these cultural issues and say, and we, we need term limits. Now, if he could tie them together, there's a clever way for him to do it. And that's to tie it to Biden's 50 years in office or 47 and a half years in, in Washington, D.C., he could make a case for that. Uh, I, I, I you know, I will tell you, ironically, Tim, and thanks very much for the phone call. I'm not a huge advocate of, of term limits for members of Congress. And the reason I'm not is I think that's what elections are for. Uh, I'll tell you who I think should be term limited. Staff. Term limit the staff. In my experience in Washington and even in Atlanta, it is the staff that really are the problem more than the congressmen. And the staff get too big for their britches and control the agendas and acquire the institutional knowledge and steer members of Congress. And then go they go out and get these massive uh, million-dollar jobs on K Street as lobbyists in Washington or outside groups in Atlanta with the Chamber of Commerce or the like. Uh, you gotta, you've got to term limit the staff more than the congressmen. Uh, if you term limit the congressmen and you don't term limit the staffers, the staffers get even more institutional knowledge and pollute the system further. Now, that's my personal opinion. Feel free to disagree with me. I got a buddy of mine. He actually leads the National Term Limits Movement, um, and and he he argues with me on this all the time, uh, and and that's fine. We just we, I I think you got to term limit staffers in Washington. You, you got these people. They acquire so much institutional knowledge, and then they they use it uh, and leverage it even against their own members of Congress who they work for. You got to do that. 
Now, one thing you guys need to do is go to true-precision.com. That is the website for True Precision that made my concealed carry firearm, and they're brilliant. Uh, and here's the thing. Everybody's buying a gun now. 43% of Americans now own guns. We have more guns in this country than we have people. And most of them are black. And True Precision can make yours stand out. You know, you should have a firearm that stands out. So even when the Antifa rioter breaks into your home at night to try to burn it down, these last words are, whoa, that's a nice looking firearm. <laughs> No, seriously, seriously. Uh, True Precision actually makes world-class uh, firearm pieces. The slides and barrels, triggers, uh, they're great. Uh, not only do I know they're great because I have one and I had it before they were an advertiser. I'm not just talking them up because they're an advertiser. I'm talking about because I really love them. I genuinely love them. I, I'm a terrible businessman in that we have people come to us and, and want to put ads on the show. I'm like, no, uh, that's crap. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sell CBD oil on, on the show and, and, and vaping articles and survival food and garbage like that. No, I'm not. Uh, and I'm willing to take the income hit because I don't believe in that stuff. I believe in true precision because I've got one of their guns and I've had it for a while and I love it. And I go to the gun range and people want to know where I got my gun. It's true precision. You should go to True Precision. Their website is true-precision.com, true-precision.com. If you go, you can buy their slides and barrels, triggers, everything. You can do it online, and you can buy them and ship them to your house. And if you use ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, as your checkout code, you'll get 10% off. They are that good. Y'all, look, I, I need more advertisers to the program. I'm covering my cost. I hadn't made any money, but I'm I'm not just taking any advertiser that wants to come on. Why? Because I think that I should believe in the products that want to advertise on this program. And True Precision is a no-brainer for me because I got their gun before they advertised. I dearly love them. Uh, their, their guns are works of art. They are so well-built. The slides, the barrels, everything. Uh, if you're looking to upgrade your gun, they I've got a Glock from them. They do more than just Glock, but I mean, Glock is the best, let's be honest. Nonetheless, true-precision.com is their website uh go to them send them some love it's a great way to support this show as well by supporting the advertisers who have taken a chance on supporting the show true-precision.com it is eric erickson here the eric erickson show i want to go all the way up to one of my favorite cities alpharetta to richard calling richard how are you eric doing very well thank you and uh thank you for the remarkable wisdom and on point uh, well, things you. that you're that you're just right on about. Here's my question. Oh, hang you on a second. I was about this. to fire up that ad yeah. that I knew you were calling about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen that. Do you think that Lucy's off target now trying to do an anti-gun ad? Uh, yeah. Okay. So for the, those who don't know what Richard's calling in, Lucy McBath, the sixth congressional district congresswoman. Yeah. I think her doing anti-gun ads right now is not going to play well, particularly given how many people are out buying guns right now. Yeah. 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 That, I hope it's, I hope that helps Karen. Yeah. Well, not only do I ho hope it, it does, uh, the handle campaign is actually their ad that I was firing up here. The handle campaign has released oh. a TV ad responding. I don't know if you've seen it yet. You know what? I, I'm going to play no. this for you. Uh, and it, it's enough that the Macbeth campaign started screaming racism, which is generally the first sign, you know, it's gotten under their uh, Democrat skin when they scream racism. Y'all listen to this. This is Karen Handel's new ad uh, unveiled yesterday. Uh, Lucy McBath, the congresswoman, started running a big anti-gun ads, uh, and this is the Handel response. 
Neighborhoods and businesses trashed, people attacked, police demonized. It's hit too close to home. Standing up for law enforcement used to be a bipartisan issue. Sadly, today, it's not. My opponent, she's supporting those who attack the police, playing partisan politics and making things worse. In our community, police officers have always had our back. In Congress, I'll have theirs. I'm Karen Handel, and I approve this message. So the the McBath campaign first said it was racism, and yeah. uh, now they're attacking her for, for claiming there was Photoshopping, and the reason they're claiming that is because uh, behind Lucy McBath while she's marching in a protest, someone was holding up a sign uh, saying, uh, from white robes to police uniforms, the Klan always wears something or something like that. Okay. So, yeah, I, well, I listen, I, I don't think gun control is yeah, going to work for McBath. Yeah, not to miss anything. Yeah, and look, I appreciate the phone call, Richard. I, I, I do, and, and I, I'm glad you called in about this because I, I kind of ran out the clock on this and wanted to get to it. Uh, the, the McBath campaign, hang on a second. So uh, McBath first claimed it was racist, and now she's saying it's doctored footage. She says she'll support the police, um, but she she's not going to de- uh, disavow the defund movement. She's not going to walk away from defund. I, I, I want to pull this ad back up from Karen Handel. Neighborhoods and businesses trashed. People attacked, police demonized. It's hit too close to home. Standing up for law enforcement used to be a bipartisan issue. Sadly, today, it's not. My opponent, she's support. Okay, the sign behind Lucy McBath while she's walking says some KKK wear hoods, some wear a uniform and badge. That was right behind Lucy McBath while she was marching and Lucy McBath is out there running an anti-gun ad campaign right now yeah and you know she's got a tragic story and she's got a story to tell her son was uh killed in uh as a victim of gun violence uh gun violence is an issue that really resonated with her it's why she ran for congress uh she wants gun control measures the democrats have have put her there and uh, I, I don't think gun control is the message right now. Y'all, I've been to gun stores in that district, and they're sold out of guns. I have been to gun stores in the 6th Congressional District, and they're just about out. Uh, I shouldn't say they're completely out, but some of them almost out. Uh, even Adventure Outdoors up there, uh, which is one of the largest gun stores in the country, uh, is, is people are going in and just buying guns left and right. It is a very big deal. And I don't know that a, a gun control message is going to work for Lucy McBath right now. Uh, this is an issue. If the Republicans really get into the suburbs right now, could really get Karen Handel back to Congress. And standing up for the police and law enforcement in a district like the 6th is, uh, uh, I mean, that's a smart idea, a smart path forward for Handel. And that McBath won't come out against defunding the police. That's a tone-deaf problem Democrats around the country are going to have to deal with. And um, they're going to have to. We'll be back tomorrow after tonight's RNZ.